I played against Philip Rivers in college. When I was at the University of Maryland, he was at NC State. And I flat out hated that dude. I hated (laughs) him. Hey, when was the last time you seriously considered your dreams? I mean, come on, you used to think about them all the time. What happened? I say it's time that you and your dreams got back together. I mean, think about it. You could live the van life in a totally customized Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. You could tour all 423 national parks, build a mountain cabin with your dad, or even start up your own business. Really, whatever you want to dream up. And it's a Mercedes-Benz van we're talking about here, kids. So expect innovative safety features like crosswind assist and blind spot assist. Expect amazing performance and reliability with an MBUX voice command system, a five-star dealer network, and an available gas engine. It runs like, well, a dream. So what do you say? Head to the Mercedes-Benz dealership and get that Sprinter van. Tell them your dream sent you. Are you kidding? It's just hanging there. Oh, sorry, that's not important. Hi everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo, welcome into another episode of Season 5 Half Forgotten History. As you know by now, we're partnering with my good friends at Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Vans for Season 5 because they help dreams come to life, much like all the athletes I talked to saw their dreams come true on the football field. Listen, Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Vans have helped my dreams come true. I can fit an eightsome in that thing, get them to the golf course, get everybody to the tailgate, or just get people out of the house. Listen, whatever your dreams are, Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Vans can help bring them to life. This week's guest is former NFL standout linebacker Sean Merriman, who burst onto the scene his rookie year and then found out the guy he hated in college, like hated, was actually a great, gosh darn it, teammate. Enjoy, Sean Merriman. All right, Sean, the year is 2055, and people are going to look back and say, what was Sean Merriman's career in the NFL? What would you tell him? It, it was explosive. You know, I, I had a great start, man. Um, you know, just coming onto the scene the way I did my rookie year and kind of becoming like a national platform. You know, you get drafted early on, but you don't expect most guys to come out and have the, the, the career early as I, early as, as I did. Um, and then, you know, people always bring up, you know, the injuries and so forth or whatever. But, man, that, I mean, look, it's part of the game, and I see some of these – some of the best athletes kind of – take that down spiral after they have a couple injuries it becomes a part of it yeah you know it's it's interesting you were you were drafted 12th overall in 2005 by the way in the golden age of maryland football let's be clear you uh you come out 12th overall in 2005 vernon davis first round pick the next year um but it's interesting because the back-to-back picks in the 2005 draft demarcus ware goes 11th overall to the dallas cowboys you go 12th overall to the then san diego chargers that's a pretty good back-to-back selection process in terms of, of getting hits in the NFL draft. Well, you know what's funny? I thought I was going to the Cowboys. Really? So, oh, yeah. So I, I went out. I took my visit um, You know, pre-draft. They brought out, I think, their top 15 to 20 guys or whatever it was. So I'm sitting yeah. down there, and I remember, like, you know, just Pac-Man and Travis, um, Travis Johnson and just yeah, all, yeah. The, all the top guys, top 15 guys in the locker room. And so I'm just hanging around, meeting everybody for the first time. And next thing I know, someone comes and get me from, from upstairs. You know, they come in the locker room and they say, hey, you know, Jerry Jones and uh, Bill Parcells want to see you upstairs. So I say, okay. First, I started thinking, like, the, what the hell did I do wrong? Like, like, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I'm like 20 years old at the time. There was yeah. a lot of wrong that I was doing. So I'm like, okay, yeah. what in the hell did I do wrong? So they called me upstairs and uh, I went up to the office. And, you know, I'm not, I don't get, really get intimidated 
by anything yeah. or anybody, anything like that. But, you know, I'm tight in the, in the office with Bill Parcells, Big Tuna in front of me, and, and Jerry Jones kind of sitting on the table next to him. And so they, they basically told me, in other words, that we don't think you're going to be around the 12th pick. We think you're going to go somewhere in the top five, top eight. But if you are, we're going to draft you. So I'm sitting there, like, I, my face is about to drop. You know, I'm going to be a Dallas Cowboy. Half of my, half of my family, because I'm from Prince George's County, Maryland, in the right. Washington, D.C. area, they're either, you know, Washington football team fans or Redskins at the time and, and, uh, or Dallas Cowboys. It was, you were either one of the two growing up in my, in my household. So I'm like, okay, cool. At least half my family's going to be cool with this. Other half's <laughs> going to be pissed off. Um, so the first thing that Bill Parcells told me, tell me, he said, hey, we love your tenacity. We like how you get after it. When you get here, we're going to work your ass. That, that, was his, that was his opening statement remark to me. So I got intimidated. I'm like, oh, damn. You know, like, I don't know if I want to come here no more. Like, you know, big, <laughs> big tuna, they kind of kind of trying to scare the hell out of me, which they did. And so Jerry Jones right there, and they were all excited. The conversation took place another three or four minutes. Went back down, went home, you know, rolled around fast forward. And I also went to the Chargers uh, as well. I went to the Chargers, uh, the Washington football team, uh, Detroit, and uh, I believe it was one other team that I took a visit to, which all, all told me that if I was there, they wouldn't draft me. Right. So that, oh, well, what, you, what you learned early on is that almost everything people tell you about the draft is a lie. Right, full because of because full you of were it. there and they took Demarcus Ware instead. Right, right. So I'm sitting in there, and mind you, my family, the, the family who are Cowboys fans, they all got Merriman Cowboy jerseys custom made. Yeah. So we're sitting in there, and they got hats, and everybody ready to go. My other, you know, because I think the Redskins had the, or uh, well, at the time, now the Watch Football Team, they had the um, the ninth pick or something. I think it was because they went. It was to, ninth. They, they took Carlos Rogers. Carlos out of, Rogers. Uh, yeah. Right. So the other team had Merriman Risk, uh, uh, Washington football team jersey. So I'm, I'm sitting in there like, okay, damn. All right, I'm going either one, everybody. So when neither team passed me, you just heard a pin drop in the room. I mean, it was a pin drop. So <laughs> well, I the, said, damn. The, the good news is you didn't have to wait long. Like, it, it wasn't a situation like Aaron Rodgers that year right. where he had to wait forever. So I'm sure it was immediately upsetting, but then pretty quickly you got the good news. Yeah, I did. And it was Marty Schottenheim, but the phone rang. No, actually, when the phone rang the first time, it was one of my homeboys yeah. reaching out and saying, hey, man, are you at the draft? I said, dude, are you kidding me? Are you calling <laughs> me during the draft? You had lost your damn I – w- I went off on him, right? And as yeah. soon as I hung up the phone, about 30 seconds later, um, I got a call from Marty Schottenheimer. And that's when he asked me, say, hey, you ready to be a well, at then San Diego Charger? And I yeah. said, hey, you guys ready to draft me because I'm ready to go. Yeah, well, listen, you were ready to go. You had an excellent rookie year. I think you were defensive rookie of the year that year. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and and, and I, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you had 10 sacks that year, 17 the next. But I really – I remember catching you in the game against the Colts. I think you guys won in December in Indy. I think it was like 28 to 17. I think you had two sacks, three tackles for loss. When people say to me, what was the coming out party in the NFL for Sean Merriman? that was the game that I immediately went to. Is that what it felt like for you? Was that the one? It was. It was. Um, and I had, I think I had three sacks that game. So yeah. I shorted you. My bad. No, it's all good. It, it happens. Um, so what, what happened was um, LeVar Arrington, you know, played linebacker for the Washington football team. Um, he told me, he was a mentor of mine in high school, and he yeah. told me a long time ago, he said, 
if you want to be known as a great player, you have to have great games against these great quarterbacks. And so when I was like a sophomore year in high school, I all I, that stuck with me forever. And right. I just knew that in order to, to kind of get on the map, to put yourself out there, to, to be mentioned up there with some of the guys who were the best to do it, you had to have a, a great game against the best players. So we got Peyton Manning. So all week, this is all I'm thinking about. I'm preparing. I'm watching. I'm like, man, I got Peyton, I got Peyton Manning this week. I got to get after Peyton Manning. And uh, after that game, I remember getting home and I was watching all the highlights and it was just everywhere. My phone wouldn't stop. And, and from that point on, it just kind of it just steamrolled. So what's that like? Like when, when someone says to you, hey, this is what you have to do to be considered great. And then you go out and do it. Like what was the first thing that went through your mind when you did exactly what someone told you to do? In other words, to be a great player. You know, it, it was kind of like a, a movie, right? Because um, Whenever you're coming in, if you're a, a freshman in high school, freshman in college, rookie in the NFL, you're always looking for, like, the respect of your, your, your older peers, right? You're always looking. I had LaDainian Thomas and Philip Rivers and Lorenzo Neal, Nick Harwick, and, I mean, the list goes on. I think Keenan McCardell was on that team. So you, you look at all these guys who've been around for, uh, for a long time and, like, you want the respect of them. And so – I think after that game, it was more so like, man, this this dude, he's he's that guy. He's he's that the dude going forward. Yeah. Um, and I also at that point, I you know right before then, I started breaking down the team before the game, you know, as a rookie. And so you know those type of things were were like a super big deal for me at the time. After that, you finished that season with uh, with ten sacks, and then two thousand six was the year that everyone thought this was going to be the year for Charger football, which yeah. is, it's, it's kind of weird because I think you started uh, – you, you lost week three that year, but but you finished up a 14-2. and two. You're the number one seed in the AFC. You have 17 sacks. H- how did the, the first year and the success change your expectations for that second year in 2006? Well, it was it was different coming in year two because um, when I when I started out, I was blocked and schemed completely different. Like it was like yeah. World, World War III. It was boom, I was getting hit all over the place and slide protection, um, wide receivers, tight ends coming in motion and blindsided me. I was I, it was just crazy. So I had to go back to the drawing board and look and see what these teams are planning on doing to, to, against me. So I I started to really not even look at the players as much, the players are secondary as opposed to the coach schemes and what they were trying to do against me. What didn't matter who was in front of me anymore because they had two or three guys sometimes. Um, so it just, I changed my mentality. And I'll never forget, you know, talking to some of the, um, we had a guy by the name of Steve Foley uh, there at the oh, time. Yeah. And so Steve Foley was around and Randall Godfrey and Donnie Edwards. So I was picking their brain like, man, listen, what are they, what are they doing? And I started looking at formations and I, I really got into Film watching. And I, and I always thought I watched film before, but not like I did then. I said, okay, if this is what they plan on doing to me from this point on, this is what I got to do. I start moving around and shooting certain gaps and knowing where I can pick and, pick and choose my spots on the field. And I got really smart as a football player. Yeah, it, it is interesting, right? You're good, and suddenly everyone wants to make sure you're not good anymore, and you have to, you have to make that adjustment that you're just talking about. No, absolutely, because you don't – Look, when you get in the NFL, everybody's good. Like yeah. I'm the second and third string guy that never touched the field, he is probably the best athlete that anybody's ever met before in their life. 
Correct. And so, you know, it's, it's funny when I'm, you know, getting a barbershop, you know, going to the barbershop or I'm going somewhere and people are like, oh, that guy's a bum. You know, he's, he don't get in the game. I said, trust me, that's probably the most physical freakish player you've ever seen in person in your life. I guarantee you. Um, so everybody's good. So you start, you got to get smart, man. That's, that's really what the game comes down to. Looking at formation, looking at down the distance, how much time is in the game, um, cadences, watching guys. I, I remember watching Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, his hand signals before, and if he was leaning forward or how far his feet was spread apart before pre-snap. I started looking at everything. Yeah, and so that season culminated with you guys being the number one overall seed. Expectations were high for you guys. You have the home game against uh, the New England Patriots. Uh, and I remember late in that game when the Patriots knew they were going to win, they started doing the lights out dance. You oh, know, man. Which, which, by the way, if you think about it, now if you think about it, that's the ultimate form of flattery because they're saying the best way for us to mock you guys is to do the thing that you've done. So it's it's kind of the worst backhanded compliment. I don't think you, you thought it that way at the time, but uh, that that's sort of what they were doing. But that had to be just a crushing loss for you guys at the time i didn't say it like that i i was so <laughs> i was so pissed off i don't think i was that pissed off ever to the point where i wanted to fight in the game like i i've you know every, everything with me has always been between the whistle like if you do something right. for me this next play if i got a shot at you i'm going at you but at you but it's going to be between the whistles like that was the first time i wanted to swing on somebody during the game and so they beat us fair and square they always they had our number um, I'm sitting on the sideline. My head is down between my legs. I can't believe what just happened. We had a, a you know a crazy force fumble at the end of the game. Yeah. You know our safety could have you know took a knee and, and game is over and we probably would have won and had to play Chicago Bears in it or or in the Super Bowl at some point. So yeah. um, I'm sitting there and I look up and there's this big commotion in the middle of the field. So at that point I hear the crowd and they're getting a little louder and I'm like, what in the hell is going on? Well. I look up and it's Philip Rivers and Ladania in the middle of the field about to fight the, the Patriots because they were doing my dance. And so I get up, I, I leave my helmet on the, like in the sideline in the middle of the field and I take off running and I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm like, this is a, this is a bar fight for me, right? You have seen a yeah. guy just take off in a big bar fight, just dive across everybody. And so that's how I'm looking. I'm like, okay, I'm going over to fight, but it was, it was kind of broken up by then. And even at that point, I still don't – I don't know that they did my dance and all this stuff, whatever. I didn't know what the, what happened until I got home and I watched the local news. Oh. And that, that was the first time that I seen all that stuff taking place. I had no idea on the field. I just saw LT and Phillip about to throw down in the middle of the field, but I still didn't understand what happened, you know, until I got home. I'm glad you mentioned Phillip. Can, can we talk for a second – about the guy who might be the best and worst trash talker at the same time in Philip Rivers. Like, no one, no one that I've ever watched in all my years covering is chattier than Philip Rivers. And it's just the dumbest stuff that comes out of his mouth because he doesn't swear, which kind of makes it good and awful at the same time. I, I played against Philip Rivers in college. When I was at the University of Maryland, he was at NC yeah. State. And I flat out hated that dude. I hated <laughs> him. You know, Trey, like, you like when you watch the films, it's not like people watch film at home where you got the, the you know the, the broadcasters, you can hear what's going yeah. on. Like it's it's silent. But one thing you can always see in the game is Phillips' head doing this and he's pointing, his head is jerking yeah. back, and you see him just stop, he never stops. 
So I'm like, man, we play these guys. I'm going to tax him. I'm going to get him. Now I, keep, I kept saying that when we play him, I'm going to get him. And I noticed during the game that no matter what you did, if you hit him, you laid on top of him or whatever, he was talking to you while he was laying on the ground. It just yeah. – it never stopped, right? So I, I hated Phillip Rivers in college to the point where we were about to fight in the back of the end zone in his senior year. It was my sophomore year. Um, and I hit him. It was a game – at the end of the game, I hit him in the back of the end zone. As I'm getting up, he grabs my ankle and twists it. I, now oh, I push no. – I push off of him. I, I do. Yeah. I pushed off of him and, and kind of pushed him down to the ground. He was upset. And he grabs my ankle to pull me back down, right? And I looked yeah. at him, and he got up and squared up with me in the back of the end zone and ready to go blow for blow. And at the second, I said, man, I like this guy. I like him. <laughs> I like him a lot. And it, I was fortunate enough to get drafted by the Chargers and then play with him. And I understood why all his teammates in NC State loved him to death. Like absolutely, they they yeah. I would see them sometime working out. Um, my family, I got a bunch of family in South Carolina and North Carolina. I would go down, and I would see some of the guys, and they would just always praise Philip. And I'm like, why? Why this dude? All he does is talk, and he is a guy that, if all the lights are out and you walk it down the street in a dark alley, and a group of people come, you're like, okay, who do I want me with me? And you yeah. want Philip Rivers? He he's he's that guy. He he is not afraid. He might he probably should be at times, but he is absolutely not afraid. So the disappointment in 2006 uh, gets a little better in 2007. You guys make it all the way to the AFC Championship game. You take down Peyton and company in that unbelievable game uh, at the RCA Dome uh, in the divisional round. But then you realize you're going to play the Patriots in their undefeated season with Ladanian Tomlinson banged up and Phillip Rivers doesn't have an ACL. What was the mindset of the Chargers going into that game? Like, hey, we got a chance to get revenge after what happened last year, but we could not be more banged up if we tried. We, we, all, we all were banged up. Um, and, you know, Phillip, we didn't even know the severity of his injury until he went in to get a, got a scope to clean yeah. his knee out so he can shave down whatever torn AC, the part of the torn ACL that he had. We had no idea. Um, Gates had a foot. I remember watching Gates. He was getting a, uh, um, an injection in the He had plantar fasciitis. He was in an injection in the bottom of his foot to numb his whole foot before the game. I had my, my torn PCL and LCL. I had it braced up and taped up. And we, we were like limping into that game. Yeah. And I just felt that we had an opportunity no matter what. So there was no way I was sitting out of that game. Right? I'm, yeah. I, none of us. We all, we all made an agreement that we were playing in this game no matter what. Uh, LT had, I think, an MCL. Uh, his knee was banged up. So I think that if we went on there healthy, we, you know, we could have had an opportunity to win. But they just had our number, man. They just, you yeah. know, between Bill Belichick and, and, uh, and Tom Brady and the way they schemed us, because we obviously talent-wise were the, better, were the better team, but they just found a way to just capitalize on every mistake that we made. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that about LT, because I remember that was a big talking point after that game. Why isn't LT out there, all this kind of stuff? And they're like, Phillip Rivers is out there with a torn ACL. And I'm like, hold up a minute, okay? Philip, uh, my good friend Mark Slayoth always says Philip used to run like Woody from Toy Story anyway. So he's not <laughs> he, he's not going to be out there running around. I mean, it's not advisable, but you can do it. There's no way LT could do what you want LT to do with his knee, and I thought it was really unfair, the criticism that went towards Ladanian's way in that situation. He had a grade two uh, MCL, which is basically a tear, and, yeah. you know, and I've had that before, and what happens is your knee is just it's unstable. It's, it's wobbly, and 
him playing running back at that. I may I possibly could have got away with playing in the game that way because yeah. of my position, but there's no way playing running back that you're cutting off of that thing and going different directions without it going completely out. It's just yeah. it's just not happening. Um, and I think the biggest criticism was that LT had his helmet on on the sideline and wasn't talking to anybody. Everybody deals with stuff different. Like me, right. I, if that's me, I'm probably breaking some stuff on the sideline, throwing things and, you know, screaming at the top of my lungs. Some people just get quiet and they, they can't even respond to people. That was L. L wasn't a vocal person to begin with. Yeah. Like he just never was. He was a uh, actions guy, lead by example type of deal. He wasn't very vocal. So his way that he couldn't even really talk about it, he was he kind of sat on the sideline in disbelief. Um, the, the biggest game possibly of his life that he can't even play in. Yeah, I mean, for anybody to suggest that he's not an ultra competitor, I mean, just go watch the film. I, I always thought that was a really unfair thing, and it's it's easy for everybody to take those shots on the outside. Talk to the people who are inside, and, and they'll they'll tell you the straight story. All right, why don't we take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the next phase of. Uh, Uh, Sean Merriman's career in the NFL, and then what happens after you stop playing. We're back with Sean Merriman. More after this. Welcome into our newest weekly segment, Trey's Trends, presented for the people by Caesars Sportsbook. The Caesars Sportsbook is the greatest sports betting app of all time, people. We all know this, but why? Because Caesars makes everyone feel like an emperor. Look, when you place your bets, win or lose, you're in more with Caesars rewards, dining, getaways, stays, All that kind of stuff. So many perks, people. Now, let me explain what that means because I'm really good at explaining things. In our world, Caesar isn't the only emperor. You see, if you check the spelling, there's no apostrophe in Caesar. So why is that? It's because everyone who downloads the app is treated like an emperor. We are all Caesars here. Caesar Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesar rewards, which means win or lose, you'll earn reward credits with every single wager. Redeem these credits for sports tickets, dining, getaways, and more presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. Here's a peek into what you can learn by watching Trace Trends each week on the Caesar Sportsbook social media and YouTube channels. The Chiefs and Cowboys are very much alive and well, and they'll meet in Kansas City this Sunday with Patrick Mahomes and Dak Prescott facing off for the first time. Now, the Chiefs opened as a two-and-a-half-point favorite at Arrowhead, even though their home stadium hasn't really given them a lot of comfort lately. The Chiefs have failed to cover in their last nine regular season home games, and this season they're 3-2 and two straight up and 0-5 oh and against the spread at home. Cowboys, on the other hand, are 3-1 and one straight up and 4-0 and oh against the spread on the road this year. Now, the Chiefs feasted on NFC competition recently, winning 10 straight interconference games. Find more of Trace Trends at Caesar Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube with new episodes dropping every Friday. You must be legal to bet 21 most places, 18 in the District of Columbia. Must be located in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia, or Washington, D.C. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Illinois, Pennsylvania, Maryland, New Jersey, West Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Gambling problem in Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, the District of Columbia, Nevada, call 1-800-522-4700. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. 
Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK 467-369. Tennessee, call Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789. Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. Overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small business lead their teams to victory all year long. And Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their business and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, a network working for everyone. All right, back with Sean Merriman here as we're talking about his career on Half Forgotten History this episode. Um, you know, so we talked about the first couple of years in the playoffs, and then that like that sort of became a thing for the Chargers, right? You just couldn't get over the hump in the playoffs, and you know. Whether it's fair or unfair, right or wrong, I think the 2010 Chargers, which, you know, you, you were there for part of that season, uh, I, I think that's, that's the season that everybody sort of wonders, you know, what happened. That year you guys had the number one ranked offense in the NFL and the number one ranked defense in the NFL and, and missed the playoffs. And a lot of people say, that's the Chargers in a nutshell. That had to be so frustrating for you guys. Yeah, and you know we were we were all tired of hearing it, but you know the the truth hurts, right? Like this, yeah. you look across the board and um, you look at the teams we had. I mean, God, I, I, it was, we had eleven Pro Bowlers, I think, in two thousand six. We had we, possibly four or five Hall of Famers on one team, yeah. right? So if you look across the board and what we were doing, and we all still talk about it, we get together and we like, damn, we should we should have one, yeah. right? At least one, maybe even two, but guaranteed we should have one. And that's why when I talk to a lot of these players, the former, you know, Chargers now and, yeah. you know, college guys or high school, whatever, and I just tell them, do not miss the opportunity. You will look back on it and say, damn, we, we should have, could have, and we didn't. And that's something that we all, because we, we know how, how people put the emphasis on uh, rings now, you yeah. know, how they put in championships. Like you, like no matter what your stats are, what you did, or record was, whatever, it doesn't matter if you don't have a ring, and we know that. And that kind of is the thing that stings the most. Yeah. Well, well, two things for me. I, to me, I've always said, and and you, I'm on record. A ring is is a symbol of team excellence. Uh, it's not a, a symbol of individual excellence. So I, I've always, I'm not a ring counter in terms of what I think is the greatest and all that. Like I, Dan Marino doesn't have a ring. That doesn't mean I don't know he's not one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play. But you're right. That's that perception out there, and it never goes away, right? You have to deal with that all the time. Oh, still to this day. And uh, I remember when, you know, I was coming towards the end of my career and I started doing a little bit more TV and I was doing some broadcasting stuff and I'm just sitting up there on set with Deion Sanders and Marshall Falk and Michael Irvin and all these guys with rings and jackets. And I'm like, I mean, I'm just sitting there on set. I'm like a lone star. I'm like, I want to say something, but I don't want to sound like I'm hating. I, like, I don't want to sound like I'm hating, but a little bit, I'm salty about this. Um, and so that's when you really start to look back on like, damn, that, 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 would, be, uh, that would be the stamp on like yeah. a career for, you know, you, you love individual accolades. Those are great. Um, but you ultimately, like you said, we the perception is your greatness is by a ring. Even though I feel the same way you do. It's funny you mentioned TV. You came. I'll I'll never forget this. I can't remember what year it was. It might have been 2010 or, or 2011. You came up and were and uh, you were doing some TV with us. You did an episode of NFL Live with us. And you know, we normally when we have a player come on, we do one segment with them and all this kind of stuff. And they were like, "Let's have Sean on for the whole show." And I'm like. 
that's great, but we're doing this stupid game show segment. I think we're, it was a let's make a deal on the prices right thing. And, you know, I just kept thinking, what the hell is he thinking? Hey, we're going to do this fake game show. We want you to be a part of it, Sean, as a player in the NFL. I, I, I was terrified that you were just going to be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Look, Trey, I, I did American Ninja Warrior, all right? That was the <laughs> dumbest thing that I've ever done at, at 260 pounds. So doing, doing, the game, doing the game show wasn't that bad. You know, I, I actually had a lot of fun, man. I, I, I love doing those type of things. Well, you did. You embraced it. And I was like, man, he's going to think we're just idiots. No, you, but you bought into it. So we appreciated that because whenever you bring somebody in, you know, as a player to do, do a show and it's not just a straight interview situation, you're like, are, are they going to think we're nuts? No, but I, I remember when the producer said, hey, we're going to have Sean be a part of the, the Price is Right skit we're doing. I was like, man, you're crazy. But you, you bought into it. And I just so you know, to this day, I've always appreciated it because you could have said, you guys are morons. And I, I would have said, you're right. No, no. I, I thought it was – honestly, man, like like seriously, I thought it was yeah. cool, um, especially now too because we're, we're seeing so many so much crossover with sports and then other like wacky stuff and game shows and content. And yeah. so I, I just I, – I thought you guys were ahead of the curve by doing, by doing something like that. Look at that now. Look how, look how many sports shows that are having these type of things go on. It's, it's everywhere. You know, an artist is never appreciated in real time. That's all I'm saying. That's all oh, I'm saying, yeah, Sean. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, so so now after this, you know, it's getting to the end of your career. And yep. you know, for a guy that was so explosive and so tough and, and to see this sort of thing unravel as quickly as it did, that, that's a hard thing to deal with. And people don't understand that, right? You guys in the NFL have always been uber competitors your entire life, and everything is geared toward – being the best you can be and suddenly when you can't be that best anymore that's not an easy thing to handle it, it was it was very tough especially like you said before when I had such early success in my career then I got the injury bug I I blew out my knee I came back in a year and a half or two later uh, I blew out my Achilles yeah. um and so as a pass rusher I was okay after the knee I, I lost a little bit but not really much at all when I blew out my Achilles, it, it completely shut down anything I had explosive-wise coming out of my three-point stands or coming off of the line of scrimmage. It, it, it practically went away. And so for me, I started to watch film uh, of guys blocking me that would normally, if I was healthy, if I was myself, that they would have had no shot in hell. And that's when I was like, you know, I was literally sitting in a team meeting room uh, towards my last couple of games in Buffalo, and I knew automatically, I said, this is, this is going to be it. Um, and walking into the Jets game, they had Mark Sanchez at, at quarterback, and I, I knew that that was going to be my last game. And that happened to be one of my best football games as a Buffalo Bill because I wanted them to see this was the last. So if anybody ever cut on that film of that last, very last game I played, I mean, I had seven, eight tackles and two or, two or three TFLs. I mean, I was all over the place. Um, but I knew that was going to be it. Um, and then that transition, I'll tell anybody, is rough. I don't even care if you have a thousand things lined up, in which I did. I mean, I had you know yeah. uh, some TV jobs. I was ready to go and do some broadcasts, and I had things with lights out. I was ready to go. I was make, ready to make that jump. And it was some days traded. I, I got offset or I've done doing whatever I was doing. And I was sitting around like, damn, is this it? You yeah. know, no more running out to a, a crowd of seventy thousand people and people watching you play on, on you know, national TV anymore and texting you about the game, and that kind of just faded away. So it was a big adjustment. Yeah, it, there's never going to be any – like, you'll have success in other ways, and it will feel great. 
but there's never going to be that moment, you know, that, like you just said, where there's 70,000 people going nuts because of something you did. And that, that's the hardest thing for anybody. No, 100%. And, and, uh, and just, you can never replace that feeling, right? Yeah. Of that many people uh, yelling your name and screaming your name, and you making a big sack or a big play, and you getting home, and everybody's reaching out to you. Everybody wants to talk to you and stuff like that. And luckily for me, not too much of, of that part, because I had so much other stuff going on, kind of faded away. But you do get this sense of, okay, the, the, it's, that's it. You go from your, you're playing peewee league to high school to college and the pros, and then somebody come and say, you know what, you're done. And, yeah. it's, and it's no more. And there's no transition to what's next. Um, and like I said, I had plenty of things lined up and it just wasn't the same. It took me about a good year actually to even feel comfortable watching football again when I got done. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so abrupt. You're right. And uh, the good news is, as you said, though, you have something that you are uh, very involved in. We'll get to that and talk about a couple other things that I want to get your opinions on when we come back after this short break with Sean Merriman on Half Forgotten History. No two dreams are the same, but there is one van equipped to handle them all. For over 120 years, Mercedes-Benz vans have been built, upfitted, and ready to go because we believe dreams should never stay that way. Because those who find their passion, drive their passion. So you can stop following your dreams and start driving them. All right, back with Sean Merriman for a little more on this Half Forgotten History episode. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of things. First of all, uh, Marty Schottenheimer just passed away. He was the guy, as we said earlier, that called you. Uh, and, and told you were going to be a Charger. I think he's arguably the most underappreciated coach in the history of the NFL because of the lack of a, a Super Bowl appearance and a Super Bowl win. But you know he churned out wins year in and year out. Uh, as you said, uh, you know he was the guy that drafted you. What are your reflections on Marty as a coach and as a man? He was um, he was just the ultimate person. I, I want to say coach, but he was the ultimate person. Um, he was tough as hell as when he wanted to be hard on you. I mean, tough. He, uh, I, I remember one time we were in training camp and uh, we were, uh, I think, having the back-to-back practices. We were in the second week of training camp, and that's when your body started to kind of hit a wall, and you're like, man, your groins and your lower back, your hamstrings are hurting, your ankles and everything else. And he came up before practice. Uh, we were running a, a hitting drill, nine on seven, where it was really f- a physical drill. And he tapped me on the back and he said, "Hey, just you know, take this off. You know, you've been you've been getting after it. You know." So I'm like, "Man, coach, this is awesome. You know, like I don't have to hit hit today and do this and do that. I'm like, this is awesome." The next day we go out before practice. He comes up, he blows a whistle, and he throws me in the middle of the Oklahoma drill, <laughs> like one on one with the lineman, smacked it. I, I said, "Hold on, yesterday you just." Yeah. You just tapped me on the back and told me that I didn't have to do this drill. And now you're, you're having me going one-on-one with offensive linemen before practice even starts. Um, and so for me, that was, that was him. Um, I had a, my rookie year, I had a big hit against Priest Holmes that ultimately, uh, you know, it was, it was a big collision. He was practically out, you know, for two, for two commercial breaks. And I get up and I'm celebrating. I get on the sideline, and, and Marty Schottenheimer grabs me by the face mask, and he says, Sean, that was a damn good hit. But don't forget that this guy's family and his friends are watching. This wow. was smack dead on the game. And yeah. so that was something that kind of it, – it, I went from here to here, and I said, man, he's right. You know, he's right. But that's how he – he always cared. He always cared. And, um, you know, I, I miss him, man. I, I think about him all the time. 
Yeah, I had the pleasure of working with Marty for a little bit at ESPN. Just one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And so I might be a little biased about it, but I, I do think he's not appreciated for the coach he was. I think he's appreciated for the man he was, but yeah. I don't think he's appreciated enough for the coach he was. Okay, Philip Rivers is retired now, so that means he can finally have time to you know start a family. Um, how many kids do you think, Sean, how many kids do you think he would have if he could have free reign? He's got, what, 17, right? Yeah, 18 now, I think. Um, you know, you know what's, what's funny about Phillip? And, you know, I always hear the jokes about the kids and stuff like that. He, you know, he's a big damn kid himself. Like, yeah. he, he really is. Like, he has this, um, this kid-like spirit with him where, you know, him, him jawing on the field and going back with other players. Like, he did that in the locker room. He did that on a, on a random Wednesday. No cameras around, 7.30 in the morning. Everybody's tired and beat up. And if you get into an argument or conversation with him, he's not going to let you win that argument. He'll follow you around the building in your ear until you, like, submit and you give up. He's just – he's nonstop that way. Um, and so – to see him now coaching the high school, I'm like, that is the best place for Philip to be because, you know, he got a whole crew of his own at home. But, yeah. you know, him watching him, him in this element around those high school kids has just been great. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, okay, this one's a tough one, but is there – I, I, I think I have a comp, but I want to hear it from you before I tell you who I think it is. Give me a player in the NFL that you think, hey, he plays like I played. I would say uh, Khalil Mack. I, I would, I would, I would say Khalil Mack. Um, he was he was coached uh, when he was with the Raiders. He was coached by my former coach, John Pagano. John Pagano right. was my uh, position coach. Tremendous uh, when coach. I was when I was with the Chargers, and I remember when he went up to the Oakland. He called me like a few days later. He said, "Lights, I got this this Khalil Mack. He's you." I said, "What do you mean?" I see. He said, "This guy is the most relentless guy I've seen since you." And wow! From that point on, I watched because I played in Buffalo, so obviously I knew of him playing at the University of Buffalo, whatnot. Right. But I just knew him as you know, just a really damn good linebacker that was going to go high in the draft. I had no idea that this this he is a he has a potential Hall of Fame type of uh, you know he's going to have a Hall of Fame type of career. And I've yeah. been watching him. I, I, there's not a game to go by where I'm not watching Khalil Mack. I just love to watch him. That's a really good comp. Here's the one that I would have come up with, and I, I think I can't argue with that one. I would, I, I, the first one that came to mind for me was Chase Young. Yes. Yes. Him too. You know, just, just, just the way he plays, it reminds me a lot of the what, way I saw you on the field. Chase, I mean, if you look at us neck, neck and neck, stand by each other, same size, basically same height, everything across the board. And the scarier thing is his high school teacher was my football coach in high school. Really? Yes. So you always hear this thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be next Sean. I was hearing this since I left college, right? Every time somebody has a couple, a good year or some yeah. good, a good games or whatever, they always say this guy's going to be the next whoever it is, right? Right. So after the 10th kid, I'm okay, yeah, all right. You see, yeah, no, this guy didn't pan out. He didn't do anything. Um, my high school football coach, Bill Johnson at Fred Douglas High School and up in Marlboro, Maryland, he said, he said, Sean, watch this kid, Chase Young. Watch him in a couple of years. Well, watch him now, but watch him in a couple of years. So I got a chance to watch Chase Young from high school on through college and through the pros. And I, I'm not even surprised of what he's doing now because he was doing this exact same thing in high school. 
All right, we talked about the transition, and you have found something that you really like doing going forward. In your, you're only 37. You know what I mean? You've been out of the league for six, seven years, and it's like, hey, I'm still young. You know, I got a lot of things I want to do. So tell us about what you're doing with the Lights Out Ultimate Fighting. Yeah, so we have Lights Out Extreme Fighting. You can uh, catch us now. Our fights are now on Fubo Sports. So all of our last five fights are on Fubo Sports. You know, it, I, I kind of got into MMA for football when I, when I was playing in 2005 or six. And I grew up in Prince George's County, Maryland, uh, around a, a ton of boxers. We had a ton of professional My yeah. uncle put boxers and so forth. Uh, I got drafted by the Chargers, and um, MMA kind of just got on the scene. And Jay Glazer uh, was talking to me, and he said, hey, I, I know you boxed growing up. Maybe you should look at trying some MMA out. So I said, okay, cool. You know, it'll help you help out with your hand-eye coordination. You'll get better you know, with your hips and being able to deal with those big offensive linemen. So I walked in the gym one day, the, the very next day, Jay Glazer's on the right, Randy Couture's on the left, and I'm sitting wow. there thinking to myself, like, hey, I'm not fighting Randy Couture today. I don't care what you say. This is not going down. Right? <laughs> I, I don't know that Randy Couture is really just in there to teach me and work with me and, and work on some stuff. So that's where my, my love for MMA came this in 2006. Now, that makes all the sense in the world to me because I, I see how the MMA stuff would translate for you. But I remember Jay Glazer a few years ago brought in Matt Leinert, and he was going to say it's going to make him a better quarterback. And I was like, how? <laughs> how? Yeah. Right? Like, you make him tougher, there's no question. But I'm not sure the mixed martial arts thing is going to make uh, Matt Leinart a better quarter. You? I can see how it would make you a better rush end off the end. And we look forward to continued success uh, with Lights Out uh, Extreme uh, Fighting and seeing what happens going on there. Listen, man, I always love watching you as a player. Uh, uh, like I said, when we had you on NFL Live, you, you were fun, you bought in. So uh, it's, it's always good to catch up with you and continued success, okay? Appreciate you, Trey, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So thanks to Sean Merriman for joining us. I swear to you, if you ever stand next to Sean Merriman, you will say, I really need to start working out. The guy is ripped. Hey, why am I holding a golf club? Well, because next week's guest used one of these to pound the Europeans into submission at the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits. One of the victorious US team members will join us. Tony Finau, we'll see you then.